Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Smarts and Stripes Podcast. We cover every bump, every spot, and chat with all the talent around the world of wrestling. Here's your host, Bill Matz, former WWE referee Kevin Keenan, and Eric Golden. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Smarts and Stripes. My name is Bill Matz, and I am your director of fun and games for the evening. We have a very special episode because we are joined not only by Eric the Turtle Golden, and not, only, special, <laughs> and not only the stripes himself of the show, Kevin Keenan. That is me. But we have the voice of SmackDown Live, Tom Phillips, in studio with us today. How are you doing today, Tom? That is me, I guess what I'm supposed to say when we walk into this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's me. What's going on? Yeah, our, we're still working the intro. Yeah, out. yeah. No, really crisp. <laughs> really yet. crisp. Yeah. Here we go. And we're in. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Tom, this, this is an exciting show. We love, having, uh, we love having anyone from WWE, and it's always a good time. And our numbers really jump. So good, thank you. Good, that's great. Uh, <laughs> but we want to get into a whole variety of things with you, but we want to start here because it's the biggest story in the wrestling industry uh, since it broke, really. And we want to get your perspective of it. Uh, ever since it was announced that Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff would be joining the company in uh, just not on-air roles as, as directors, as executive producers, whatever their roles may be, uh, we just want to know, like, what's your take on that and how does it affect your job? Um, a lot of people have been talking about it because obviously now under one roof, you know, Heyman's been working with us as a, as an on-air talent, obviously, yeah. but now it's Bischoff, Heyman, and Vince within the same building uh, on a regular basis. So that is arguably the three most influential minds in the history of the business. I don't even know that's an argument. Um, so it's super cool because we get to interact with these people on a regular basis now going forward, um, which blows your mind that you could have... The kid in me is kind of like, oh, you might have regular access to Heyman Bischoff and Mr. McMahon at any mm-hmm. given time. But just thinking about that is ridiculous. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, those, I, are, yeah. those are three guys who have molded the industry pretty much as we know it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is, that's the business now is Correct. what they yeah. did in the 90s and leading up to present. Like, this is what it is. And that's we're all so excited. Like, mm-hmm. as a fan, it just feels like something is like we're just on the verge of another boom period. Like, is there a buzz yeah, within the company, or is it just moving forward always because it's you work every single day? I think it's both because it is the, the machine keeps on rolling, rolling the, the bowler keeps going downhill, so to speak. But at the same time, it is so exciting to have those guys in the building because now you're thinking about what's going to be different, what could remain the same, what are we going to do differently on the air, and how are we going to change up what we do. So it's not necessarily uh, that it's like, okay, we had to make this or something. It's a matter of, okay, now we have these three people in the building who are definitely going to make our product better on a week-to-week basis. So I personally am very curious to see how it all starts to uh, starts to unravel just because I think we're seeing bits of it, 
but uh, at the same time, I'm not really privy to that, so I kind of just go yeah. out and do what I do. But it's cool to just kind of start seeing. It's like, okay, this is where they're going with this. It's really cool. Well, it's like if you believe the internet, Bischoff started two months ago. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything you read on the internet, they got yeah. it down pat. Oh, it's yeah. absolutely true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin loves it when I reference other podcasts. Oh yeah. When you hear Bischoff on his podcast, it's like, I just got to Connecticut. The guy right, literally right. just yeah. stepped foot maybe in Stanford. Talk, maybe talk to the people <laughs> actually. Temporary housing. Right. That's that's awesome that he has yeah. his own podcast. Yeah, set yeah. the record straight. So that's good. Yeah. <laughs> Let's start at the beginning of your career. Tell us about your journey from a Penn State grad to WWE. Were there any issues? Were there any weird circumstances? What were the struggles of doing that? So I grew up uh, in the Philadelphia area. I lived here until I was about 12 years old. Uh, my mom went to Penn State. My older brother, I followed him to Penn State because he was two years ahead of me. Um, so growing up in the area, I was all four uh, Eagles, Flyers, Phillies, Sixers. Sixers, not so much because they stunk at the time and everything. <laughs> and then it was once um, once AI got rolling, it was like, oh, okay, we'll start watching. And we kind of had more of that over the last 15, 20 years. Uh, so it's been really interesting. But um, I became a Penn State fan. And then naturally, as I got older, was diehard into sports, into football especially. And around the time I think it was about, I was 12, uh, maybe 13 or something. And I just kind of decided one day, I was like, uh, I told my parents, I was like, I think I want to get into sports broadcasting because I was like, you're not going to be an athlete. And <laughs> I was like, I want to stay close to sports. And my parents, God bless them, were like, yeah, you do whatever you want to do. And I think my first opportunity was like PA announcing uh, a JV football game when I was in high school. And I was like, that was even just like, oh, yeah, first down Johnson or something like that. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is so much fun. This is really cool. The whole stadium can hear your voice. All these people can hear you. And uh, I wound up doing uh, a journalism camp at Penn State actually when I was towards the end of high school I can't remember what it was called and then uh, once I went to school I did the student radio while I was there um, Jeff Brown who is still running comm radio at Penn State it's a fantastic program it's what made me fall in love with it um, I was actually commuting from if anybody knows Pennsylvania by heart Altoona Pennsylvania mm -hmm. to State College basically twice a week every week for about a year and a half wow. to kind of be a part of that because I got a, sat a satellite campus opportunity at first so was doing that and really fell in love with it. Got to call some games for the student radio for um, Big Ten Network Student U. I think that I think that's still going on. And once I graduated, kind of like everybody, I was like, I need a job. <laughs> and uh, my first gig was kind of by happenstance. My uh, I was board opping for a local radio station in State College, and essentially, I my alarm didn't go off. And I was like, damn it. I was like, all right, so I'm running down the, to get my car and driving to the studio. I'm all disheveled. I'm in basketball shorts and a T-shirt. And uh, this gentleman from uh, Juniata Athletics, uh, Juniata College is about uh, Huntington, Pennsylvania, about 35 miles south of State College. He's like, hey, do you, you want a job? And I was like, yeah, sure, man. <laughs> Sounds great if you're willing to hire this guy. Um, <laughs> so I was doing the men's, women's basketball. Again, it's Division three, but uh, men's and women's basketball. And I did a handful of football games before I got the opportunity with WWE. And I was, at the time, subscribed to a website, highly recommended for anybody in broadcasting, uh, staatalent.com. And Job League comes up for WWE. And I was like, nah, come on. Like, this isn't how, like, people find out about this or they go about this. I was just kind of like, really? And it was like, all right. So um, I auditioned. Um, didn't really think it was, like, stellar or terrible. I was like, all right, that went, you know, and... Uh, that was in June of 2012, September. I got an offer, so I must have called two or three Juniata football games, and I was like, I'm out. You know, So uh, I have a very different story than a lot of people because in broadcasting, there's so many people who struggle for sometimes a decade plus, and I was very fortunate that my struggle was about 11 months, 
and I was waiting tables at an Olive Garden, and then I was calling you know double headers every Saturday, Sunday for fifty bucks a game. And was that rough? Yeah, but I got my dream job, you know, at twenty three. So I really can't complain. <laughs> yeah. What was your backup plan if WWE or broadcasting itself just didn't work out? I was continuing to. I was applying everywhere. I remember uh, the. I, I applied to be the play-by-play announcer for the Billings, Montana Mustangs baseball team <laughs> about a month before um, I applied for the WWE gig. And uh, at the time, my girlfriend... That was a tough choice for you. Oh, you? yeah. I mean, <laughs> when those two interviews were the same day, you were like... Right. I'm like, I love baseball, but Billings, Montana sounds like a lot of fun. Um, <laughs> my, my girlfriend, who is now my wife, uh, God bless her for sticking with me through this whole ordeal, was like... If you move to Montana, we probably aren't going to like keep dating. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I know that would probably be bad. Really? Um, so, so nice. I know it's great. So I was, and of course, you're trying to rationalize it, like, oh, I'll work there for like three months and I'll come back. And I was like, no, nah. so it was ridiculous. But anyway, I, I got really lucky. And uh, I'm sorry, I blanked on your question entirely. <laughs> uh, backup plan was again to just keep applying to jobs. I was talking to the Penn State athletic department for a while, trying to see if there's anything local. Um, and you know, you guys know how that is when you graduate from school, especially you know, a college town those jobs are really like closely held on to some of the guys you know spend 30 years there because they're not gonna let it up let it go um, nobody here ever leaves. no no <laughs> especially my neighborhood about 10 right. miles outside of here <laughs> so um i was doing that stuff and i remember my grandfather saying to me uh he was like hey you know have you and he was very supportive at the same thing he's like he thought about going back to school and i was like god i have no idea what i would go to school for outside of broadcasting so I, I, again, I got lucky, man. I, you know, 23 years old and I got a job with a global company, billion dollar company. I mean, come on. Yeah. That's so obviously you said you got your dream job yeah. and it's most people's dream. <laughs> most people I know your job is their dream job. But like, so you must have been a fan growing up. What made you fall in love with wrestling? Like, what was it? You said you like you watched the Monday Night Wars. You knew of Bischoff and Heyman and Vince, of course. So uh, my parents were not huge fans of wrestling. Uh, if you can imagine when I was a kid, it was pretty much the height of the Attitude Era. So some of the product that was going on the air wasn't exactly meant for a kid. No. So my parents were like, absolutely not. You can't watch this. So they would go to bed and I'd sneak down to the basement. I'd watch it on the lowest volume possible and just kind of sneak out. Out and all that. So uh, I would watch as much as I could every once in a while. So like I wasn't entirely up to speed on all the stories that were happening, but I had a general idea of like, okay, Monday is raw and this is what's happening. And every once in a while, flip it over and see what was going on with Nitro. Yeah. Um, I was vaguely aware of ECW, which I know is a sin in Philadelphia. <laughs> but again, I grew up and my parents were just like, you're not doing this. So if you're not watching the invasion angle, and you're not seeking it out. Like, I, unfortunately, I've never been to an ECW event. Uh, you two, in as long as Google, or you and I, as long as Google's correct, are about the same age. These two are a little yeah. older than me, and I wasn't like I didn't know ECW until after the right. fact. Right. It was. Uh, yeah. the, it was essentially the invasion angle that I found out about, and then I kind of backtracked and I was like, "Oh my god, this is awesome!" Yeah. Um, no, what made me fall in love with uh, wrestling WWE in the first place, and uh, you know, not to name drop, I was talking to the Hall of Famer Devon Dudley Monday night. And he and I were sitting there watching the show. And uh, I've told him this before, but I was like, dude, I fell in love with this business in the triangle ladder match at WrestleMania, which eventually became TLC. Hardy's, Dudley's, Edge and Christian. 
And then after the fact, once I started working here and realizing, like, those guys went through hell, that hurt a lot. <laughs> and I was like, that's what got me interested. I'm like, yeah, like, there's an art form to this. So I fell in love with it in different ways once I started working here. So you get your dream job. You come into the company uh, in 2012, shuffled around, it seems, wherever they kind of have a role for you. But in 2014, you land as the lead commentator in NXT. Talk a little bit about your time in NXT and taking the journey from there to the main roster with some of the stars we see every week on TV today. NXT, I, I will always have a soft spot in my heart for NXT just because it was my first opportunity. Uh, when I first even got hired in 2012, they'd fly me down every once in a while, usually like once a month, kind of like what they do now for tapings. But I'd fly down once a month, and it was just different at that point. They were just kind of getting it full sale university, mm -hmm. getting started at full sale uh, in Orlando. And I was like, I'd show up and be like, all right, what am I doing? You got backstage interviews today, a month later. Oh, uh, you got one episode to call. Okay, you got two, you got three, you got four, you got none. You know, it just was different every time I went down there. And after about a year, two years, to your point, kind of got that gig full time, which was uh, a real honor because I worked with all these different commentators at the time. And it was really the infancy of the brand. Um, one of my you know, deepest honors that I ever had was I got to call NXT Arrival, first ever live special in the history of the network. And even when that was going on, I was like, why am I sitting in this seat? You know, like I was like, this is so cool. Um, and I listened back to that commentary back then. I'm like, I'm glad I'm not that guy anymore. You right. know, I've learned a lot since then, but I, I love NXT, man. Uh, yeah, NXT is like when I was just getting back into wrestling, I went to college, stopped watching, mm -hmm. got out, came back. NXT is what got me back in. Mm -hmm. But you're a young guy. Like you're around my age when mm -hmm. you come out in 2012, you're there. You're really young there. Like, what was a big culture shock? Like, what did anything really catch you off guard like, when you first started with WWE that you're like, I was not expecting this? I remember calling a show, um, and Michael Cole is so helpful with all the announcers that come up. And, I, and I've talked about it before in a bunch of different podcasts, how um, uh, JBL, for instance, has been awesome to me, but, you know, tough on me at the same time. And I think anybody that's ever played organized sports, there's player coaches and then there's coaches that are tough on you and they try and get the best out of you. Michael Cole has been the same way, but a great friend. And I remember coming back from doing a show and I was like, oh, like, what'd you think? And he was like, you did this, 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 this wrong. And my face just dropped and I was so uh, naive and stubborn and full of myself and probably still am. But at the same time, I was like, oh my God. I was like, and I think I was, I was like, did I do anything right? You know, and it's like, what good does it do you to just pat you on the back and be like, all right, see you next week. You made all these mistakes, but, ah, you know, hop on the plane. So that was the thing that really, you know, was like, this is the big leagues. This is professional broadcasting. This is a billion-dollar company. So um, nothing is just going to get handed to you. It's not just going to be a walk in the park and sunshine and roses. That You're going to have to work for this. And I needed to hear that. So I'm forever grateful to him for that. Why does NXT draw like it does? It's kind of like an alternative to their own product, really. It is an alternative, and that's the thing is that, you know, we we have a lot of different brands. We have five brands right now, if I'm, unless I'm missing something. Um, <laughs> we have five, and that it's nice in that we have, you know, we have our Coke and Pepsi, and then, all right, you want root beer? We got that. You want Sprite? We got that. You want Fanta? We got Fanta. You know, it's just whatever you want. So that's the nice thing is that NXT is just different, and they can do some things um, on the network that we don't do on Raw and SmackDown because of ratings and all those different things, but um, the network gives them some flexibility. And then NXT, I think, um, is a lot of times the voice, uh, or not the voice, excuse me, listens to the voice of social media. And it's like, okay, who's who's a guy that you want to see on this platform? And we'll go and get him. Here he is. Like, 
okay, what's what what's to hate about that? You know, yeah. uh, Matt Riddle is one of the more recent sightings that I can remember, and there's been a slew of them. It was like, hey, this guy's cool. You guys want to see him? Yeah, all right, great, let's do it. You know, pretty simple. Yeah. yeah the night Kevin Owens showed up, that, oh, was, that like, was awesome. I dropped jaw dropped. Mm-hmm. I was so excited, and it was mm-hmm. just that's what NXT does for you when was, you are a fan who knows. More than the WWE gives right. you that ability. Yeah, was that the night he did the power bomb on the apron to Sammy? Yeah, he he, he worked uh, C.J. Parker now Juice Robinson. Juice Robinson, love Juice. Um, broke his nose against Juice. That's right. I think to to kick off the event. I think you're right on that. And then later in the night, Sammy finally wins the NXT Championship, and then he comes out KO and does the, the pop up power bomb on the apron, which uh, that just blew up from there. So an amazing debut. It's like it hurts. <laughs> I'm sure it does. And I'm never going to try it. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Hey, come yeah. on, guys. My, my in-ring days are a little, little bit behind me, I think. Every time we have a professional wrestler here, I want them to super kick Kevin. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Hey, you're a broadcaster. Are you trained at all? Have you bumped at all? Like, uh, what, what's the... Do you stay out of the guy's way? Like Yes, a thousand percent. <laughs> um, I, I once got in the ring uh, to learn because... As you can imagine, like when we do interviews in the ring, we're not wearing like sneakers or boots like the guys and girls. Uh, you're in dress shoes, and then a lot of our uh, female interviewers are either in heels or they're in flats. So they gave us an opportunity to get in the ring and learn how to take a bump safely in those types of that type of footwear, and then how to escape the ring in that type of footwear, which is really really difficult. So I took uh, I took one bump and I forgot to breathe, and I'm sure you know all about this. <laughs> oh yeah. And I forgot to breathe, and you know you throw your arms back and you tuck your chin. I remembered all that. Forgot to breathe. And my legs stayed straight up in the air. And I was like, oh, my God. And they're like, all right, you have to sell now. I, I am selling. I promise. You know, oh, God. I'm legit selling, sell. though. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this is honest. This is method acting. I'm fine. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that was my introduction. And then seeing guys and girls who will go up the top rope and land, you know, not even close to the center of the ring, which right. is where they kind of recommend you land. I'm just like, I don't know why these guys. These guys are insane. You know? <laughs> but it's awesome. <laughs> What's the biggest problem when transitioning from NXT to the main roster? Um, I can't speak to it, obviously, as a wrestler, but as a broadcaster, the biggest change is obviously from taped to live. Um, you get experience doing takeovers, but at the same time, the uh, we refer to it as traffic uh, in terms of Raw and SmackDown. So, for instance, when you're watching a show and we pop up and there's a graphic for a music thanks for SummerSlam, I forget what it is right now, um, you have that, and then maybe you're going to go into a graphic about a match that's coming up, and I have to throw to a package, and then we come out of that package. Here's a tweet about said package. Then we're going into B-roll of what happened last week. So all that stuff, as you're watching it on your screen at home, it's just like, oh, they're just flashing me pictures of the different matches that are happening. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got a producer in my ear going 10, 9, 8, and if you're not out at 1, it doesn't make any sense, or it feels clunky, and it feels awkward, and it feels unprofessional. So... Uh, those live experiences don't come with NXT just because it's taped. And then doing takeovers help you get used to that. But Raw and SmackDown is a completely different beast in terms of traffic. Yeah. A couple of minutes ago, you mentioned a bunch of the different brands that we uh, that, the, that the company has. Mm-hmm. I almost said wheelie as if like I'm still there. <laughs> um, but you did mention a bunch of the different brands. And if you believe some of the rumors lately, uh, NXT is looking to expand outside of NXT UK. Some of the things that have been brought up are NXT Japan. NXT Australia, and most recently I saw this week, NXT Canada. Is there such thing as overkill? Is there is there such thing as too much? I don't know. I mean, our fans just keep eating this stuff up, which is the thing. Like, if you want more of it and you want anything in your, your neck of the woods, so to speak, or sure. your territory, and we're offering it, like, that's the thing is that 
people continue to eat it up. Mm-hmm. So why stop? Yeah. Um, NXT UK is one of my favorite shows to watch. I just recently started watching it. I'm, I'm a big big fan. It's fantastic. Um, I really enjoy the show. I like the characters. It's just, again, it's different characters. It's a similar style production, but it's a lot of different stories. And for, for me, what's been really cool is seeing... Uh, working at the Performance Center for a while, seeing guys like, uh, for instance, Marcel Bartel mm-hmm. um, and uh, Fabian Eichner catch on with Imperium, mm-hmm. um, seeing uh, Alexander Wolf get in there, obviously doing his stuff with Sanity for a little while. So it's been cool to see how um, there are the three brands of the network, basically, of NXT 205 Live, NXT UK, and seeing superstars bounce around and see them try out different roles and do different things. So it is reminiscent of the territory days. So, uh, But to answer your question, I... When the fans say no more, <laughs> then we'll stop. But right now, they're not doing that. You mentioned Imperium. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Walter. Do yeah. you feel the same? Yeah, he's really uh, he's really something because uh, of his size, what he's capable of doing in the ring. And then it's, it's challenging in today's day and age with the way social media is for our superstars to be like, okay, I'm just a babyface and I am absolutely a heel. Uh, Baron Corbin's great about maintaining, like, I am a heel. Mm-hmm. Like, you go online, and it's like, yeah, same thing. So Walter is that 24-7. Yeah. So I really appreciate that on a show where um, Imperium is starting to crop up as a big entity. Um, you've got Gallus especially, and a lot of other. Cassius Ono's doing remarkable work he, on NXT. He always has. I've, I've just always been a big fan of Chris Hero, Cassius Ono, however you want to. Uh, whatever you want to call him, he's 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 a true journeyman wrestler, yeah. and and he's absolutely fantastic. But for Walter to come in, because I think we were all watching the Pete Dunn title reign, we're like, God, who's gonna, who, who can we have end this? Who is gonna end this? And Walter made sense to everybody. Yeah, it was and, so and cool. that was a fantastic match. That was like, amazing. Everyone was talking about Cole Gargano, and I was like. Yeah, that was fine. Sure. Oh, oh no. Oh no. They were both mind blowing. Yeah, 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 it was great. Did, did anyone see that? That <laughs> yeah. was awesome. No, man. and it's cool that it gets uh, that the UK championship gets its opportunity at yeah. takeovers, uh, just individually to kind of show, hey, here's what we do. Hey, watch yeah. this thing. Too. Yeah, exactly. One more thing about NXT. You mentioned uh, Michael Cole helped you uh, as you were coming up to the main mm-hmm. roster. JBL. Is there anyone else who really mentored you, helped you out with your transition as you made the way uh, up to uh, Raw and SmackDown? Oh, God, uh, a lot. Uh, William Regal, I was calling shows with early on, me, him, and uh, Renee Young. For all those Renee Young detractors, she's been calling shows for a little while, so, like, you know, take it easy. Uh, <laughs> William Regal was a huge help because uh, the way he always phrased it, he was like, if things go sideways, if they go pear-shaped, I'll just take care of it. And I'm like, all right, great. Thank you, Will. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Everybody mentions Regal. He's, he's the best. He's yeah, yeah, he's great. Um, Regal's been awesome. Um, Matt Bloom, a.k.a. A-Train, a.k.a. Tensai, however you want to call him. Um, he and I were riding together for a long time, and he was one of the first guys to really pull me aside and uh, just kind of help me recognize some of the mistakes I was making. Not necessarily on the air mistakes, but just cultural mistakes and just kind of like, hey, man, like this is going to help you, you know, avoid those potholes, so to speak. So he always took great care of me. Um, Alex Riley was a great help because he's a pretty professional broadcaster when we had him. Um, At the same time, Corey Graves uh, is one of my closest friends, but coupling, we kind of started working together an odd time for both of us because I was just coming back onto NXT and then he was, had been on NXT for a little while as a commentator. So he was transitioning out of the in-ring role to the on-commentary role. So it was interesting that he and I were kind of meeting at this opportunity where I'm like, I've got a chance to prove myself again, and he's trying to prove himself as a commentator but has a wealth of in-ring knowledge. So uh, uh, Graves has been influential. Byron Saxon, I've called more shows with him than I think anybody. 
So I've got a lot of people to thank. Uh, you mentioned Corbin earlier, and when we had him on this show a few weeks ago, he's a big Kansas City Chiefs fan. Yeah, I know. So he can't miss an opportunity <laughs> to have a Philly boy talk some sports. I, I throw know, wrestling to the side know, for a second. Let's get, let's, get, let's get down I'm to so it. I'm so glad Andy Reid's in Kansas City. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my God. <laughs> Mary Corbin is not. No, I know. I was going to say. That's one of my favorite moments of my career, him just going, no, yeah. Yeah. don't win a Super Bowl. <laughs> he it's was adamant, too. You have arguably the most exciting quarterback in the last 20 years in football and then this slew of weapons and somehow somehow it might not work out yeah. which is insane is it andy reed's fault d ford jumped off sides no no but would it happen to anyone else in that situation no no, no. no. <laughs> just andy uh but yeah uh, we'll start with the fills because we were watching mm. the fills downstairs just uh what's your what's your what's your relationship with sports because you're working so often like yeah. do you have a chance to keep up uh, as uh, as much as you'd like to? I occasionally get to watch the Phils. I have notifications on my phone for when they're playing. We were talking about before we started recording, I was like, oh, it's nice to see they're winning right now against the Giants. Or, or me saying. texting them, oh going, my God, are you watching this blowout? It's nothing, bottom of the fourth. I can't I get, believe it. That's great. If I get three buzzes in a row, I'm like, I'm not looking. I know. I was like, no, this is bad. That um, happened to me last week, actually. Yeah, um, the stuff at the trade deadline, I was kind of like... Okay, you know, I'm I'm interested to see what Dickerson does. I think he's a nice addition. Um, his OPS is exciting. His batting average is better than most of the guys in our starting lineup right now. So I'm excited about that. But it just feels like a whole team that's just fine. And that's Bryce Harper included. And Bryce Harper at the same time will probably put up, what, 30, 35 home runs, 100 RBI. And that's great if you're not getting paid 330 million dollars he's gonna yeah he's gonna beat every one of his uh of his um or uh mvp totals except for mm -hmm. home runs and average this year right but it doesn't like, feel like it yeah, it does not feel no, like it at all no. no um and i think as much was made out of real muto um as a catcher he's been good on the defensive side but you know the bat hasn't been what you really thought it was going to be reese hoskins for everybody that thought he was going to be the second coming of ryan howard Forget it, okay? I like Reese Hoskins, and I think he is a serviceable guy, but not at four or three in the lineup every single night. Yeah, no. And that's... this pitching staff is so pedestrian, it's not even funny. Well, Actually, it is kind of funny. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. When you're just like, when the Mets just want to give you Vargas, I know. and Smiley's just sitting there, right. and these guys come in, Right, and they automatically make a difference. Yeah, I, oh yeah, that's how bad our pitching is. I wanted to talk crap. We have a hurt guy, we just keep throwing out there. <laughs> I wanted to talk crap to Michael Cole and Tony Chibble, are huge Mets fans. I want to be like, oh, we got far. Oh, just forget Chibble's it. Like yeah. a, Chibble's like a Philly guy. How's he a Mets guy? He's a Jersey guy. Well, just, well, just stop right there. Don't no 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 no. no. Don't associate Chibble with this fine he's city. Don't do that. Across this bridge. No no, he no longer is. He lives oh. in Florida. So oh, thankfully, okay. we've ejected uh, him from this state, which is wonderful. <laughs> he was born in Jersey. He did live here for a long time, but uh, I'm very grateful that Chimmel is uh, not on my flight on a regular basis. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Chimmel's the best. I love Chimmel. There is something I will never understand about Mets fans. Like, mm -hmm. I don't root for the worst team in the history of all sports in the Phillies <laughs> by choice. Right. Like, right. If I had, if the Oakland, if the Philly A's were mm. still here and they had 27 world titles, I'd be rooting for them. Oh, oh so what? you're a bandwagon guy. Yeah. All right. <laughs> what sense does it make to be a Mets fan when you have the Yankees right over there? It blows my mind. I think it's just every contrarian in New York that's just like, I'm not going to go with them. I'm going to work for it. And it's like, all right. And then it's amazing how often it is 
Mets and Jets fans. Yeah. I don't know if it's just because the spelling's convenient, <laughs> but at the same time, they're just like, well, if I'm a fan of this team that struggled for a long time, I might as well be a fan of that you, team that struggled for a long misery. time. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like the Giants have a couple Super Bowls to their day. It's like, yeah, this is not a bad team to root for if you're in New York. So. Not here, but <laughs> I did. I did a remote not too long ago down in uh, down in Cape May, New Jersey, and there was a guy for whatever reason he was in Cape May. This is probably right in the middle of the heat wave we were talking about mm. not too long ago, oh, yeah. and he was a Knicks, Mets, and Jets fan. Poor son of a bitch. Oh, we just looked at him like we just, with complete <laughs> sorrow. Is it man? It's just. <laughs> At what point do you get a do you get a break? At what point does, does, does something break for you? I don't know. Maybe you watch uh, and the, the tough part. There's not really like a college to cling to, right. like St. John's basketball, maybe. But like, ah, uh, that's a that's really stretching. Real, yeah. I know that's the thing. It's not even really a college city. We're we're fortunate at least to have some college teams here. Big so five basketball. There you go. So we're about a week and a half, uh, week and some change into into Eagles football. Earlier, mm-hmm. uh, about a week or so ago, right before camp, Merrill Reese said this is the best team. He has seen Doug Peterson walk into camp, including that Super Bowl team. From where you sit, you know, there's a lot of questions. Can Carson Wentz stay healthy? Mm-hmm. How is him and Deshaun Jackson going to coexist? Are they going to work together? What's going to happen there? From where you sit and what you've seen so far, what's your outlook for this Eagles team? I feel good about it. I, I think I agree with Merrill. Um, and, and again, I've not been to any practices. He sees more than I do. Love Merrill, by the way. Oh, my God. That's I love Merrill. Yeah, we've talked about that. My idol. Um, <laughs> uh, the best. Um, so... I am the forever pessimistic but realist Eagles fan and that the second somebody's like, oh, this is better than the Super Bowl team, I'm like, let's pump the brakes. Let's calm down a little bit. <laughs> um, I think defensively we lost a couple of pieces that are going to be questionable. Um, I think the injury to LeBlanc is now uh, kind of scary. Um, losing Bennett, I think, as much as we were just kind of like, oh, okay, we'll keep moving on, but losing him and Long at the defensive line position, it's kind of Fletcher Cox and Barnett and – uh, you get Vinnie Curry back, but Vinnie Curry didn't exactly light the world on fire in Tampa. Right. Um, and then Brandon Graham. So it's like, all right, this will be fine. Um, so you've got your front four, but I don't know. There's something there defensively that still makes me worry, as it did last year. But for some reason, the Super Bowl year, they just kind of put everything together. Offensively, yes, completely agree with Merrill. If Wentz doesn't stay healthy, we don't have... What do we do? You know, Nick Foles in the wings. Correct. It's Sudfeld and uh, the dude from uh, Northwestern, Thorson. Um, by the way, as a Penn State guy, Trace McSorley was available. What are you doing? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Anyway, um, I... He took two. two. Sharif, took two. Sharif, yeah, Sharif, Miller. Sharif Miller and uh, Miles Sanders. I think Miles Sanders is going to surprise some people. Getting Howard from the Bears was really cool. Um, but again, the entire offense and the entire team... Hinges is Carson Wentz going to stay healthy and you just threw a boatload of money at this guy because you believe he's the future and that's great. I don't think there really would be that many issues with the receiving core because it's so deep. It's Ertz. It's Jeffrey who kind of has some injury issues year to year. Deshaun Jackson is starting to wear down as we've seen the last couple of years in Tampa. He has his moments. Um, I think and I really hope Nelson Aguilar in a contract year steps up because he he started to show flashes during the Super Bowl year that he can be brilliant. Right. But then last year kind of takes a back seat. We trade for Golden Tate. It wasn't the same. So I, I have a lot of excitement for the team. I I hope that's the case. What Merrill said. You mentioned Chris Long a couple minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, couple writers, many sports talk radio hosts have said, call him now. Bring Chris Long back now. Do you mm-hmm. agree? Yeah. Why not? Why not? I don't see any problem with having a veteran in the locker room, a guy who's done amazing things for this community and every community he's walked into. Um, It never hurts to have a veteran of his caliber who 
is he going to get you 10 to 12 sacks? No, but right. he is going to be a guy that this team has always been about, is having rotational defensive linemen that, okay, you've got a great front four, but you better have 8, 9, 10 defensive linemen you can work in. I don't know if we feel that comfortable at that position this year. So, You watch any hockey at all? Every once in a while. I need you to fire back at Graves when he starts talking about I know. Uh, I, I mean, what do you want me to, to say? The Penguins know, have been stellar for the last handful of years. Yeah, They've been really good. It's like, it's all right, pain I, in the ass. I don't really have anything. At least he retweeted the show, so it's like, yeah. thank you for people that <laughs> hey, are I'll listening. I'll take that. I'll absolutely yeah. take that. Yeah, I appreciate that. No, it's like if the if the Flyers can overtake the Pens at some point, you know, we're all waiting. some point this <laughs> century, it's bound to happen. <laughs> we're all waiting, yeah. Speaking of Graves, let's jump back into into wrestling for mm-hmm. a minute. I want to you know, talk a, a little bit for a few minutes about about some of your coworkers. You you mentioned Michael Cole. You already went over everything that he's done for you. I think mm-hmm. Cole is just a just a fantastic guy. Uh, Renee Young, very early in her color career, uh, but no stranger to the WWE universe. She does a fantastic job mm-hmm. uh, and a huge asset to the company. Talk to me about Renee. She is different in all the right ways that you want a color commentator to be, and. Does she have in-ring experience? No, and she's not the first commentator to sit at that desk that didn't get in the ring and you know compete on a regular basis. She is a big personality, and she has a perspective and insight to our superstars that I don't think anybody else on the commentary team has, and that she knows these people intimately and has a lot of stories that she can bring forward for these people. Um, I agree with some of the things that she said recently on social media in that um, does anybody envy the position she's in? Not that you know, being on Raw is not an enviable position. Is that she is on a global television program every single week in front of millions of people learning on the job. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would want to do that. That's tough. And she dove into it head first. And I talk about the experience she had um, alongside myself and plenty of others in NXT uh, a long time ago. And then she was an interviewer. She was doing panel work. Uh, outstanding panel work, by the way. She was kind of one of the the rocks of our pre-show mm-hmm. getting off the ground, our kickoff shows rather, for uh, takeovers and pay-per-views, really establishing those over time and making them sound. Um, Renee is learning on the job, but at the same time, she is exceptional. And I think what she's doing uh, is trailblazing. She's a pioneer for women in our company. And the most important thing to me is that there's women in broadcasting outside of WWE that may not even consider WWE, but now because of her, because of Beth Phoenix and because of our, all our other backstage interviewers who are exceptional uh, and that are female, that they look at them and say, I can do that and I'm going to pursue that. No, and it's it, like it is learning on the job. And that's very, I don't want to say evident because that seems like an insult, but she's improving at it. And I always enjoyed like, all her produced work or sitting at the, at, the, uh, at the pre-show table and on the backstage segments. She was good at all of that. And yeah. It just seemed like... Well, next evolution is commentary and live comment. Mm-hmm. Like you've been doing it a long time, and she's just kind of jumping into this one thing. I, I don't know if anybody remembers my first stint on SmackDown. I wasn't good. I was pretty bad. I just kind of called moves, and then I didn't really know what to say. So I was like, "Yeah, I, but you guys have been nice and forgiving me for that. So what's wrong oh, with well, what you know?" <laughs> we know how the internet works, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> I host but, a podcast with yeah. two women. I did a thing once where. Um, I intentionally got a bunch of stuff wrong on a show. Mm. Nobody mm. called me out on it. Mm. And if one of my co-hosts did it, like, you know, just one thing on one random show that I didn't even hear, like, they'd have 20 tweets. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do I always say on this show? Twitter is the dumpster of, of society. Yeah, Twitter is not the real world. The internet is not the real world. I just, I understand its use, but it's, I, I found it to be, like, the very bottom of the... My very first show on WIP, I hosted midnight to 6 a.m. when the Pope was in town. 
and somebody literally within five minutes told me I should jump off a bridge. Jeez. What? Pope is in town. I mean, (laughs) he'll hear about it. You know, that's not nice. I think one of the most genuine people I ever met during my time in the company was was Byron Saxton. Oh, God, yeah. One of the one of our Christmases, he got me a uh, he got me a hat for Christmas, a yellow hat. I still have it somewhere and embroidered on it was number one referee. I, I, <laughs> that's so awesome. This was clearly a gag gift. Wow. Man, where's the heat, boys? Love that. That's World great. Yeah. Jeez. Seven's my, high. Never mind. Sorry. My anyway. Tom. Yeah. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> um, chat me up about sitting next to Byron every week and calling SmackDown Live. Byron's the best. Um, Byron is uh, a saint of a human being. Uh, it broke my heart a couple of weeks ago. His dad passed mm-hmm. And uh, I was very uh, glad I had an opportunity to say something on the air to send our condolences and our love out to Byron. Um, Byron has been in the company nearly uh, a dozen years, mm-hmm. which I don't think a lot of people know. Yeah. And started as a commentator uh, before he was with us. He was working in Jacksonville doing like the local sports updates and everything. So he had experience with that. Went to the University of Florida to get his communications degree. Um, is a family guy, is a smart man, uh, knows uh, the industry, and he is a fan at the end of the day. I think the thing that people forget is that we are all fans mm-hmm. at the end of this. And I, when I tell you that when I sit next to him and I watch him commentate, it is like there's a fan sitting next to me bugging out about what's happening in front of him. Um, the way he reacted with uh, Kofi Kingston's win at WrestleMania, uh, in my opinion, helped make that from a commentary perspective, uh, helped make our broadcast that much more complete for that. Um, Byron is our Swiss Army knife. He's done ring announcing. He's done backstage interviews. He's done panels as a host, as an analyst. He's been a color commentator, as a baby face and a heel. He's been a play-by-play announcer. There is nothing in our company he can't do. That Kofi moment, uh, you brought that up with Byron. Uh, that was full circle for a lot of us. Mm. Kofi was with us in FCW. Uh, he did some work with me in, in OVW. I can remember the first time he won the Intercontinental title. Mm-hmm. We were all in the wing stop down there in Tampa, and we took the place over, jumping up and down. Like we were caught, like we caused a scene. I can understand what Byron is feeling because that that's one of our guys. That was one of his guys. That was one of my guys. I was jumping up and down on my bed yeah. in my room. I think I was. Te- I think I texted you after yeah, WrestleMania yeah. told you. That was, uh, I can understand what he was feeling there because I felt, I felt the same thing. Yeah. Uh, you and I met through a fairly new commentator uh, mm-hmm. to the company by the name of Vic Joseph. And, yes. he and he and I met while doing some work uh, with Tommy Dreamer's House of Hardcore Company. Mm-hmm. And he and I hit it off from the beginning. When I got started in broadcasting, mm-hmm. He was one of the first people I seeked out. Uh, I find his work to be incredible. Him as a person, uh, he's just top notch. What is it like having Vic around? And is the sky the limit for him in the WWE? Uh, yeah, he's he's fantastic. He's helped me out a lot just in terms of he is uh, someone, again, who knows a lot more about professional broadcasting outside of WWE. Some you know professional experience that in my lifetime I've not really had. I've worked for a Division three school and I've worked for WWE, so it's, it's different. Um, so it's been really cool to get his uh, take on different things from outside the industry and then apply that to some of the things we do and maybe make changes here and there. Uh, he is a great dude. He is someone who is, again, like Byron, is a fan has been to more events like he he didn't really sell that when we were first kind of talking to him uh to get to know him through uh rhino initially Mm -hmm. and we didn't really understand that about him then when we got him in the door we're like oh this guy's been to everything (laughs) in the cleveland area in the last 20 30 years it was really cool um no vic is really really talented and the fact that he's 
where he's at. I, I mentioned earlier we were doing you know the difference between NXT to the main roster, okay, taped to live. He's already getting to do live TV in that it's 205 Live, and I think he started doing that, what, a year and a half ago or something? I don't believe anybody's called more episodes of that show than him. And he is getting opportunities that just because of the nature of what our product uh, – was in terms of a broadcast. He's getting better opportunities uh, to learn that stuff on the fly early than I did, which is really, really cool. And to see his maturation has been awesome. All right. I saved the best for last. Oh, great. Let me just say, I've known Corey Graves for about 15 years. And I'm he, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but he is probably one of my, my favorite people in the business. And there's, mm-hmm. there's a variety of reasons I have for that. I think it's safe to say... Uh, his wrestling career didn't go the way he had hoped or the way that anybody had hoped because he did, in my opinion, have all the tools to be a star. But on the other side of that coin, Tom, he did. He found he found another calling, uh, even though he is a filthy, vile Pittsburgh native, <laughs> Penguins lover, Steelers, Pirates lover. To, mm-hmm. to me, uh, he is the modern day Bobby Heenan and in many ways uh, the voice of the entire company. Talk to me about the rise of Corey Graves behind the headset. It's been really fascinating because how do you watch your dream die and then pick up the pieces and move forward? Mm-hmm. And he said as much in terms of his in-ring career naturally was his dream. Uh, he said it on a couple of different things where his dream was to lose in the main event of WrestleMania. <laughs> Which is what all true heels, I think, look for, is that you want that sound of the audience, and it's like, we did it, we told the story. And to be there with him at some of the hardest points in his career and in his life, and then to see him turn it into what he's done now, to your point, I agree with you, is the voice of the company. Uh, He's on both shows, so he has to be. (laughs) Um, So is the voice of the company, and then at the same time has uh, taken so many things from the past in terms of... There's little bits of Jesse in him. There's little bits of Bobby in him. There's things that King used to do that he brings forward, things that JBL implemented. And he's this perfect uh, blend of everything. And then you get Corey Graves at the end of it, who's this very authentic, uh, witty guy who I still can't believe his ability to uh, just in a split second, Mm -hmm. he's got the perfect thing to say. And that's on the air, off the air. He, that's make, the, he doesn't he, turn that switch he off. He makes me laugh out loud more often than not. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's, he's the best. So uh, he's been a fantastic friend to me. He came to my wedding, actually. And uh, yeah, Graves is a good dude and extraordinarily talented, as I think we all see. And uh, another guy who I think within our company, we're just seeing the beginning, which is really cool. If we're just seeing the beginning, man, I can't wait to see what what the next yeah. chapters and the end of that book look like, because yeah. we're reading a bestseller already. I agree. Yeah. I'm going to stick with a similar theme. Uh, you know, I've heard plenty of people who've been sitting in your chair before talk about the mm. challenges of the job uh, and the demands of the job more than anything. Uh, and maybe not so much a coworker, but someone you work for, the chairman. Mm-hmm. What's it like to be produced by Vince freaking McMahon? <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's intimidating for sure because it is it's a billionaire. It's Vince McMahon at the end of the day, but. I always look at it as this, is that obviously I I get so in the weeds with a show in terms of I'm focused on the micro. I've got horse blinders on to like, okay, I've got to take care of this thing in this segment and that's all I got to worry about and it's live and I got to make sure the timing's good and I got to get him in and this this point and all this stuff. And then there's there's Vince with the macro and he may give me something over headset where it's like, oh, that I didn't quite understand that in the moment. And then maybe a segment or two later, I'm like, I got it. I see. What you're, and and then there's things in the moment where I'm like, 
wow, I never even thought of that. So you're literally learning something every single day. So uh, if, I mean, if you have the opportunity to work with uh, Vince McMahon in any capacity, like there's no downside to it because you're just going to get better from it. And I talk about the, like WWE as a company, I talk about um, some of the things that Michael Cole and JBL and that it's like, hey, we're going to coach you up, but you know, we're not going to make it easy on you. Like yeah. you've got to earn this. Vince believes that and that is a top down mentality. And I couldn't imagine going somewhere else to think about, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to get get a pat on the back like I talked about earlier. It's like, no, like this is the way it is and you get better through this. So I, I love it personally. What's the toughest part of you essentially host a two-hour live television program. You, I, I no do, one, yeah. <laughs> your, your voice, you're on the show more than anybody. Yeah. Uh, like, what's the toughest part of that job? Um, <clears throat> putting aside ego, um, I think because naturally when you're behind a microphone, you want to hear yourself talk. And it That's took, why I do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it took me a while to separate um, what, what I was supposed to, uh, what I was supposed to be getting done on the air versus what I was like, oh, this is what I want to do. Um, so there's a line between that. And I think the, the analogy I make is like, there's, there's scoring, there's scoring point guards and then there's facilitative point guards and I'm a facilitator. My job is to get the ball around and my job is not to be Russell Westbrook and score 30 and do and get a triple double or something. That's not my gig. Now, SmackDown live, it's two hours and not three and you're younger. You're not, you know, in your fifties, mm. but I'm 30. Exactly, yeah. you, uh, do you wear dark pants for a reason? Do I wear dark pants for a reason? It's, no. a, it's a Jim Ross joke. Oh, God. Oh, we forgot about that story. Um, I have never had that issue. I, I don't know why. I mean, I've been in the time that I've been on SmackDown, at least this past incarnation, we've had the brand extension. Mm -hmm. So as a result, at most pay-per-views, the ones that were brand exclusive were about three hours, so not to totally like out of the ordinary. But so, for instance, WrestleMania this past year was a seven-hour show kickoff and total pay-per-view. So we're rotating in and out in terms of the different commentators. So I usually, and not usually, but like I had two to three matches where I wasn't calling a match. Okay. And I come back on and I call two or I call one or I call three. It just was different. So I've not run into that circumstance yet. And I'm, you know, luckily I'm 30. So maybe in 20 years I'll be yeah, like, maybe. oh, I'm dying out here. So, you know, we'll see. Uh, is there just one thing you'd like to see added to WWE programming wise, behind the scenes wise? It's like whatever. How would you like one thing you would do to improve? I'm not asking you to bury anybody. If you want to, go right No. Um, like anything you would add to make the, the overall presentation better? That's a good question. I don't know if I've really thought about that that much. I think there's so many things that we do in terms of presentation, cameras, lighting, uh, commentary, in-ring, you know, competition, etc. Um, I really enjoy the the changes from one brand to the next, and I think that's what is really important for us is that we continue to find different brands that are just different flavors, and it and it's okay that one is not like the other, and it's okay that. There's, you know, maybe the rhythms of one show that are reflected in all of those brands. That's fine. That's what we do at the end of the day. Um, I just like to continuously see change and see different flavors presented to our audience. Who is the next big star? Who is the next guy or girl on this roster that we just can't wait to see? In your opinion, who is going to be the next big one for WWE? Huh. That's a good question. Um, I, and it's not somebody that's not on TV or they're on NXT or anything right now. <clears throat> I think Alistair Black has great potential. I've owned Alistair since the first match he worked. I think it was TakeOver Orlando. I got to call his first match, 
Um, that might be wrong. I don't know. Um, Andrade is someone who's getting a lot of TV exposure, but yep. I can easily see him being a world champion. Yeah, we point. text each other about Andrade. Yeah. Did you see his match this week? No, he's he out, has everything. He's outstanding, and with Zelina Vega, it's a great, great presentation. Uh, Andrade, the the stuff that he did with Rey Mysterio back in January, and then the last this past week, um, it's just a glimmer of what it can be. So he and he just continues to build every single week. Who is the guy or girl on this roster that gets you just legitimately angry, that makes you lose your sense of being a play-by-play guy for a second? The, the blurred lines, so to speak. Who do you just have to see win or lose at a certain time? That, get, that would like legitimately get me mad. Um, Any sort of more. Oh, is there anybody that gets oh, you lost in the moment, essentially? Yeah. Uh, oh, That's lost in the moment. Disbelief. Uh, Samojo. Samojo. Um, I know Joe, uh, personally, he's been very good to me off the air. Um, but in terms of his on-air personality, I'm mm-hmm. just a fan. Um, I just, I remember uh, calling his match at Extreme Rules and I was not even, re- they always teach us to look at the monitor and I was not really looking at the monitor <laughs> during his entrance. I was just kind of just going off the top of my head with Graves because he and I got to call a portion of his time on NXT. So it was really special to take him from uh, going from TNA to NXT where that was still at a time when everybody was like, are these guys going to be able to make this jump and all that? And I was like, it's freaking Samoa Joe. Like, he's fantastic. And to be able to call his stuff on a regular basis uh, has been so much fun. And he's one of those characters that I never get tired of, whether it's good guy, bad guy. I can dive into every last piece of it. So he's captivating to me. Absolutely. We could sit here, obviously, all day and talk about talk about different things. But before we go, I, I definitely got to ask. The year I was supposed to work WrestleMania, I got let go. I never got that chance. But mm-hmm. you're a Philadelphia guy. You've made it. You grew up here. You watched wrestling. You got into the business. You got to call WrestleMania. Sit, yeah. Tell me about those experiences. Tell me about calling the granddaddy of them all. That was wild, man. Um, and to the thing you said, I'd quote, I've made it. I don't look at it that way at all. Um, I have to prove myself every day to make sure that I can do. I'm auditioning for my job for next week. And it's the sure. way I look at it. It's like, all right, you know, if I don't do a good job this week, I'm not going to be able to do that. Um, I got told I was going to be able to do WrestleMania about three weeks before it happened. So I was like, great. Can't wait. <laughs> you know, I was like, oh my God. Um, so it was like pretty terrifying. Uh, but at the same time, I never thought I was going to get to call WrestleMania. Not that I didn't think the company would give me. A chance and that I could have the chance to earn that but I was just the little kid in me if it was like hey you're gonna call Smackdown and uh, by the way you're gonna call Wrestlemania one day I'd be like get out of here right. what are you talking about so getting to call Wrestlemania was, was really really cool because uh, I was living in Orlando at the time so it was really special that it was kind of right down the street um, my now wife and my sister got to go to the show which was super super cool um, I was so nervous man oh my god <laughs> like there's a picture uh, that Cole and I uh, found from like our dot com guys of he and I sitting out at the desk during the day and it's just oppressively hot. <laughs> so there's fans on the desk and I've got a towel over my head and we're just doing our notes and I was a you know a, a dummy and I came out there in a button down shirt and jeans and he was like why are you wearing this? He's got a golf shirt and everything. He's like yeah he's like rookie never been this been here before. Um, so uh, just having help along the way, but the thing that helped me settle down in that show um, was getting to call the the opening match of the Cruiserweight Championship mm-hmm. match with Graves mm. because he and I got to walk down that Titanic-like ramp yeah. at, uh, so at the, the... It was like 70 yards, I think. It was crazy. So 
normally when we do pay-per-views, they uh, they don't give us entrances just because it saves time. So they're like, oh, you guys just walk down the ramp. <laughs> we're like, okay. <laughs> so we go out there and it's like you're on the sea of the Titanic or yeah. something. And you're just like, oh, okay, like this is ridiculous. And you're walking out to the sea of people. And because they didn't play our music, they just were like, you go. People didn't realize we were coming down the ramp at first. So he and I are just up there kind of like, this is really cool, man. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. <laughs> and my wife is up in the box taking pictures like, oh, yeah, I see you coming down. This is crazy. So um, if I didn't have that walk to do with him to kind of just have a buddy there to be like, we're going to be all right, man. Um, and then I get down there and call that first match with him where I was like, I'm calling WrestleMania. This mm-hmm. is amazing. So uh, and now it's I've done three of them, which is three more than I ever thought I'd do. So uh, very lucky, man. That's so cool. Uh, whether it's that little kid that you were or a little kid growing up now, mm-hmm. watching you, listening to you the way you heard, you know, JR and King and mm-hmm. Cole, yeah. like, some sort of advice about broadcasting, working for WWE, mm-hmm. whatever, just that pursuit of that. The I got lucky. Again, I, I'll say that a thousand times. I got really lucky in the way that I got in. It's very different uh, than when I got hired. But at the same time, it's about adaptability and it's about being able to change on the fly. And so much of that is that exists in broadcasting. But are you going to be able to pivot in a matter of a split second? Are you going to be able to adjust a story by a word and completely change the complexion of a segment of a moment, all that? So there's a lot of different things that I've learned over the last it's almost seven years next month um, that I, I never could have learned you know, before coming here to WWE. Um, so if anybody out there is like interested in getting into broadcasting with WWE, it's just just get reps and put yourself in uncomfortable situations. Um, work in live scenarios. Uh, don't work on your strengths and minimize your weaknesses. You know, attack everything as best you can. All right, uh, that was it from us, but we have a couple of Twitter questions. You want to lead those off, Kevin? Cool. All right, so TR on Twitter, at Too Sweet Me Bra. What a name. Nice. Yeah. There you go. Too sweet me, bro. Uh, TR wants to know, when someone new comes on board, is it natural to want to help them and give them pointers, or is it more of a, hey, this is how we do things now, and you're kind of on your own after that with the thinking, wrestler spots are are few, but commentators are even fewer? Um, Yes and no. I think it's changed a lot over the last uh, seven years that I've been here in that. There was a time where I think it was very much every man for himself, and uh you know, we preach team a lot. Mm-hmm. And I know that, again, it is still, you're out there on an island, even though you're there with three people. It's like, okay, like if you don't pull your weight, it's like any team sport. It's like, all right, you got to be able to pull your weight. But there have been so many instances where everybody I've seen on our team, whether it's ring announcers, backstage interviewers, commentators, step up and have each other's backs in a moment when they need it. Um, I'll, you know, Byron Saxon's dad passed away a couple weeks ago. David Otunga steps right up and is like, yep, I'm going to do this broadcast, no problem, whatever. Um, we just help each other out. Backstage interviewers, um, if they've got you know some struggles on a show, we pick each other up and we get right back in and we work on stuff. So we're not like uh, major networks in that, okay, if, you're on, if you work for ESPN, for instance, you can be on live TV five days a week, but we can stash you on a smaller show that people don't see and then slowly move you up. Sure. We don't have that. It's feast or famine in a lot of ways. So we always take care of each other that way. One more. And, man, these Twitter handles are outrageous. Two two tweets? You got two? Two. I have a couple more. Oh, you have a couple more? Oh, okay. I was going to say. Bill, wait a second. What a raucous response to this. I didn't didn't send it to you. Thanks, thanks, man. Well, Uh, at underscore Wheaties on Twitter wants to know, uh, how does Tom think the Nittany Lions will do this year with a new quarterback and running back? Fine. 
I, I have really, I, I, having seen the Eagles win a Super Bowl, having gone to game four of the 2008 World Series, I am happy as a sports fan. I can die sort of happy. I think a lot of us feel that way. Right. Penn State has not won a national title in my lifetime. That's the last thing I want to see. I agree with everything that James Franklin said last year and that we are good. We're trying to get to great. We can be great, but we're not elite. And when he said that, then that's kind of when the season went south because that's when the whole team realized, like, oh, we got a lot of work to do. Uh, losing Trace McSorley, Miles Sanders, a lot of key guys on defense. Um, people in Happy Valley have been asking since James Franklin got hired, are you the guy? Right. Are you the guy to get us to that point? Are you going to be Dabo Swinney? Are you going to be uh, Nick Saban? Are you going to be in that conversation, Kirby Smart? Are you going to get us to that point? That's still a question mark. I love what James Franklin is doing. Uh, I hope it's uh, Clifford, I think, is the guy that was uh, looking really good last year. I know there's a backup quarterback, and I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Levi, or Le- I can't remember his last name, um, is starting to do some cool things from what I understand in camp. Um, there's a lot of guys that need a lot of experience. So I'm hoping it's a positive season. Go ahead, Bill, with your other few that you didn't send me. <laughs> you know how I do this, man. We just kind of throw it together at the last minute. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. from, from our most consistent contributor, probably, uh, Mystery Mook. Everyone loves oh, this yeah. game. Yeah. Um, what is your, like, do you have a dream match you want to call? Like what? Like mm. what haven't you done that like just the match? Uh, it's it's simple, and I, I promise this isn't a cop out. The main event of WrestleMania. Oh sure. I've never called the main event of WrestleMania. Um, that is, I've gotten to call a couple of WrestleManias, and it's one thing to do them as the lead commentator, but to call the main event of WrestleMania, that is all I really, really want to do is work my way to that point. So dream match. I've gotten I've gotten to call some really cool matches in the time that I've been here, which has been awesome. So it's hard for me to pinpoint one exactly where i'm like oh i wish it, it, i don't know it's tough because it's like guys that i was like a big fan of growing up is like oh if they were selective but yeah, it's like yeah, yeah and i'm like i'm seeing these guys on a regular basis so i don't i don't well, necessarily have it yeah that's fair yeah that's fair yeah um no honestly i it's tough for me to answer and you also wanted to know what you're most looking forward to at SummerSlam calling um oh gosh kofi kingston randy orton 10 years in the making um we had that great interview with Randy on Tuesday mm-hmm. of the the match they had back in 2009 where uh, Randy... I did, love when they throw it back like that. Yeah, That's yeah, yeah, yeah. Really yeah. And Randy's just like, stupid, stupid, stupid. It's just very rarely do we get the chance to come full circle with... Actually, I take that back. We get an opportunity to do that quite a bit, um, which is really cool. Um, and this is one that, you know, Kofi, it's been this crazy ride, could all come to an end at SummerSlam. So I'm really excited about it. That should be really good, yeah, because Orton's been around so long and Kofi's finally getting that chance mm-hmm. up at the top of the card. I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah. Uh, just one more. Are you from... sure? Yes, yes. You sure? One more? Yes, one more. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> it's a quick one. Mm-hmm. Uh, just want to know, you mentioned the three-man booth earlier. Do you like the two or the three? Um, I, I, I like both. I, I The two-man, uh, kind of like I was talking about before, the ego is like, oh, give me the two-man because I can talk a little bit more. I can be a little bit more of my personality. And the three-man, like I said, I'm a little bit more of a facilitator. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so accustomed to working with uh, especially Graves and Byron just because we've been at it for a while now from NXT to SmackDown uh, that I'm really comfortable in that. And it's honestly been a while since I've done a two-man. I think SmackVille this past Saturday was the last time I did a two-man. And then before that, I maybe three years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Like, randomly with JBL one night. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Um, so uh, I really like the two-man, but I'm pretty accustomed to the three-man. 
All right. Yeah, I think uh, is that it, guys. Do yeah, we have yeah. anything else hidden that I didn't know about? All right. Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is all the time we have on Smarks and Stripes this week. Thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Tom. No, thank for you for having time me. Time to come in the studio and hang out with us. This was really awesome. It's a really tough um, commute. It's right down the street. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're a busy guy. What's <laughs> what going on? Uh, yeah. Make sure you follow us uh, at Smarks Stripes on Twitter and hit that subscribe button. Give us those five-star reviews. Leave uh, nice words about us, please. That would be greatly appreciated. Uh, my name- okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.